Chapter Thirteen of the Mystery of the Yellow Room. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gloria Zablicki. The Mystery of the Yellow Room by Gaston Leroux. Chapter Thirteen. The Presbytery has lost nothing of its charm, nor the garden its brightness. A week after the occurrence of the events I have just recounted, on the second of November to be exact, I received at my home in Paris the following telegraphic message: "Come to the Glandier by the earliest train. Bring revolvers. Friendly greetings, Rouletabille." I have already said, I think, that at that period, being a young barrister with but few briefs, I frequented the Palais de Justice rather for the purpose of familiarizing myself with my professional duties. Than for the defence of the widow and orphan, I could therefore feel no surprise at Rouletabille disposing of my time. Moreover, he knew how keenly interested I was in his journalistic adventures in general and, above all, in the murder at the Glandier. I had not heard from him for a week, nor of the progress made with that mysterious case, except by the innumerable paragraphs in the newspapers and by the very brief notes of Rouletabille in the Epoque. Those notes had divulged the fact that traces of human blood had been found on the mutton bone, as well as fresh traces of the blood of Mademoiselle Stangerson. The old stains belonged to other crimes, probably dating years back. It may be easily imagined that the crime engaged the attention of the press throughout the world. No crime known had more absorbed the minds of people. It appeared to me, however, that the judicial inquiry was making but very little progress. And I should have been very glad if, on the receipt of my friend's invitation to rejoin him at the Glandier, the dispatch had not contained the words "Bring revolvers." That puzzled me greatly. Rouletabille telegraphing for revolvers meant that there might be occasion to use them. Now I confess it without shame: I am not a hero, but here was a friend, evidently in danger, calling on me to go to his aid. I did not hesitate long. And after assuring myself that the only revolver I possessed was properly loaded, I hurried towards the Orleans station. On the way, I remembered that Rouletabille had asked for two revolvers. I therefore entered a gunsmith's shop and bought an excellent weapon for my friend. I had hoped to find him at the station at Epinay, but he was not there. However, a cab was waiting for me, and I was soon at the Glandier. Nobody was at the gate, and it was only on the threshold of the chateau that I met the young man. He saluted me with a friendly gesture and threw his arms about me, inquiring warmly as to the state of my health. When we were in the little sitting room of which I have spoken, Rouletabille made me sit down. "It's going badly," he said. "What's going badly?" I asked. "Everything." He came nearer to me and whispered, "Frederick Lawson is working with might and main against Darzac." This did not astonish me. I had seen the poor show Mademoiselle Stangerson's fiance had made at the time of the examination of the footprints. However, I immediately asked, "What about that cane? It is still in the hands of Frederick Lawson. He never lets go of it. But doesn't it prove the alibi for Monsieur Darzac? Not at all. Gently questioned by me, Darzac denied having on that evening or on any other purchased a cane at Cassette's. However," said Rouletabille, "I'll not swear to anything. Monsieur Darzac has such strange fits of silence that one does not know exactly what to think of what he says. To Frederick Lawson, this cane must mean a piece of very damaging evidence. 
But in what way? The time when it was bought shows it could not have been in the murderer's possession. The time doesn't worry Lawson. He is not obliged to adopt my theory, which assumes that the murderer got into the yellow room between five and six o'clock. But there's nothing to prevent him assuming that the murderer got in between ten and eleven o'clock at night. At that hour, Monsieur and Mademoiselle Stangerson, assisted by Daddy Jacques, were engaged in making an interesting chemical experiment in the part of the laboratory taken up by the furnaces. Lawson says, unlikely as that may seem, that the murderer may have slipped behind them. He has already got the examining magistrate to listen to him. When one looks closely into it, the reasoning is absurd, seeing that the intimate, if there is one, must have known that the professor would shortly leave the pavilion, and that the friend had only to put off operating till after the professor's departure. Why should he have risked crossing the laboratory while the professor was in it? And then, when he had got into the yellow room? There are many points to be cleared up before Lawson's theory can be admitted. I shan't waste my time over it, for my theory won't allow me to occupy myself with mere imagination. Only, as I am obliged for the moment to keep silent, and Lawson sometimes talks, he may finish by coming out openly against Monsieur Darzac, if I am not there, added the young reporter proudly. For there are surface evidences against Darzac much more convincing than that cane, which remains incomprehensible to me, all the more so as Lawson does not in the least hesitate to let Darzac see him with it. I understand many things in Lawson's theory, but I can't make anything of that cane. Is he still at the chateau? Yes, he hardly ever leaves it. He sleeps there, as I do, at the request of Monsieur Stangerson, who has done for him what Monsieur Robert Darzac has done for me. In spite of the accusation made by Lawson that Monsieur Stangerson knows who the murderer is, he yet affords him every facility for arriving at the truth, just as Darzac is doing for me. But you are convinced of Darzac's innocence. At one time I did believe in the possibility of his guilt. That was when we arrived here for the first time. The time has come for me to tell you what has passed between Monsieur Darzac and myself. Here Rouletabille interrupted himself and asked me if I had brought the revolvers. I showed him them. Having examined both, he pronounced them excellent and handed them back to me. Shall we have any use for them? I asked. No doubt, this evening. We shall pass the night here, if that won't tire you. <laughs> On the contrary, I said with an expression that made Rouletabille laugh. No, no, he said, this is no time for laughing. You remember the phrase which was the open sesame of this chateau full of mystery? Yes, I said, perfectly. The presbytery has lost nothing of its charm, nor the garden its brightness. It was the phrase which you found on the half-burned piece of paper amongst the ashes in the laboratory. Yes. At the bottom of the paper, where the flame had not reached, was this date, 23rd of October. Remember this date. It is highly important. I am now going to tell you about that curious phrase. On the evening before the crime, that is to say, on the 23rd, Monsieur and Mademoiselle Stangerson were at a reception at the Elysee. I know that because I was there on duty, having to interview one of the savants of the Academy of Philadelphia, who was being fated there. I had never before seen either Monsieur or Mademoiselle Stangerson. I was seated in the room which precedes the Salon des Ambassadeurs, and, tired of being jostled by so many noble personages, I had fallen into a vague reverie when I scented near me the perfume of the Lady in Black. Do you ask me what is the perfume of the Lady in Black? 
it must suffice for you to know that it is the perfume of which I am very fond, because it was that of a lady who had been very kind to me in my childhood, a lady whom I had always seen dressed in black. The lady who, that evening, was scented with the perfume of the lady in black, was dressed in white. She was wonderfully beautiful. I could not help rising and following her. An old man gave her his arm, and as they passed, I heard voices say, "'Professor Stangerson and his daughter!' It was in that way I learned who it was I was following. They met Monsieur Robert Darzac, whom I knew by sight. Professor Stangerson, accosted by Mr. Arthur William Rance, one of the American savants, seated himself in the great gallery, and Monsieur Robert Darzac led Mademoiselle Stangerson into the conservatory. I followed. The weather was very mild that evening. The garden doors were open. Mademoiselle Stangerson threw a fichu shawl over her shoulders, and I plainly saw that it was she who was begging Monsieur Darzac to go with her into the garden. I continued to follow, interested by the agitation plainly exhibited by the bearing of Monsieur Darzac. They slowly passed along the wall abutting on the Avenue Marigny. I took the central alley, walking parallel with them, and then crossed over for the purpose of getting nearer to them. The night was dark, and the grass deadened the sound of my steps. They had stopped under the vacillating light of a gas-jet, and appeared to be both bending over a paper held by Mademoiselle Stangerson, reading something which deeply interested them. I stopped in the darkness and silence. Neither of them saw me, and I distinctly heard Mademoiselle Stangerson repeat, as she was refolding the paper, "'The presbytery has lost nothing of its charm, nor the garden its brightness.' It was said in a tone at once mocking and despairing, and was followed by a burst of such nervous laughter that I think her words will never cease to sound in my ears. But another phrase was uttered by Monsieur Robert Darzac. "'Must I commit a crime, then, to win you?' He was in an extraordinarily agitated state. He took the hand of Mademoiselle Stangerson and held it for a long time to his lips, and I thought, from the movement of his shoulders, that he was crying. Then they went away." When I returned to the great gallery, continued Rouletabille, I saw no more of Monsieur Robert Darzac, and I was not to see him again until after the tragedy at the Glandier. Mademoiselle was near Mr. Rance, who was talking with much animation, his eyes, during the conversation, glowing with a singular brightness. Mademoiselle Stangerson, I thought, was not even listening to what he was saying, her face expressing perfect indifference. His face was the red face of a drunkard. When Monsieur and Mademoiselle Stangerson left, he went to the bar and remained there. I joined him and rendered him some little service in the midst of the pressing crowd. He thanked me and told me he was returning to America three days later, that is to say, on the 26th, the day after the crime. I talked with him about Philadelphia. He told me he had lived there for five and twenty years, and that it was there he had met the illustrious Professor Stangerson and his daughter. He drank a great deal of champagne, and when I left him, he was very nearly drunk. Such were my experiences on that evening, and I leave you to imagine what effect the news of the attempted murder of Mademoiselle Stangerson produced on me, with what force those words pronounced by Monsieur Robert Darzac, must I commit a crime, then, to win you, recurred to me. It was not this phrase, however, that I repeated to him when we met here at Glandier. The sentence of the presbytery and the bright garden sufficed to open the gate of the chateau. If you ask me if I believe now that Monsieur Darzac is the murderer, I must say that I do not. I do not think I ever quite thought that. At the time I could not really think seriously of anything. I had so little evidence to go on. 
but I needed to have at once the proof that he had not been wounded in the hand. When we were alone together, I told him how I had chanced to overhear a part of his conversation with Mademoiselle Stangerson in the garden of the Elysee, and when I repeated to him the words, Must I commit a crime, then, to win you? He was greatly troubled, though much less so than he had been by hearing me repeat the phrase about the presbytery. What threw him into a state of real consternation was to learn from me that the day on which he had gone to meet Mademoiselle Stangerson at the Elysee was the very day on which he had gone to the post-office for the letter. It was that letter, perhaps, which ended with the words, The presbytery has lost nothing of its charm, nor the garden its brightness. My surmise was confirmed by my finding, if you remember, in the ashes of the laboratory, the fragment of paper dated October the 23rd. The letter had been written and withdrawn from the post-office on the same day. There can be no doubt that, on returning from the Elysee that night, Mademoiselle Stangerson had tried to destroy that compromising paper. It was in vain that Monsieur Darzac denied that that letter had anything whatever to do with the crime. I told him that, in an affair so filled with mystery as this, he had no right to hide this letter, that I was persuaded it was of considerable importance, that the desperate tone in which Mademoiselle Stangerson had pronounced the prophetic phrase, that his own tears and the threat of a crime which he had professed after the letter was read, all these facts tended to leave no room for me to doubt. Monsieur Darzac became more and more agitated, and I determined to take advantage of the effect I had produced on him. "'You are on the point of being married, monsieur,' I said negligently, and without looking at him. "'And suddenly your marriage becomes impossible because of the writer of that letter. "'Because as soon as his letter was read, you spoke of the necessity for a crime to win Mademoiselle Stangerson. "'Therefore there is someone between you and her, someone who has attempted to kill her, "'so that she should not be able to marry.' and I concluded with these words, Now, monsieur, you have only to tell me in confidence the name of the murderer. The words I had uttered must have struck him ominously, for when I turned my eyes on him, I saw that his face was haggard, the perspiration standing on his forehead, and terror showing in his eyes. Monsieur, he said to me, I am going to ask of you something which may appear insane, but in exchange for which I place my life in your hands. You must not tell the magistrates of what you saw and heard in the garden of the LSA, neither to them nor to anybody. I swear to you that I am innocent, and I know, I feel that you believe me, but I would rather be taken for the guilty man than see justice go astray on that phrase, the presbytery has lost nothing of its charm nor the garden its brightness. The judges must know nothing about that phrase. All this matter is in your hands. Monsieur, I leave it there. But forget the evening at the Elysee. A hundred other roads are open for you in your search for the criminal. I will open them for you myself. I will help you. Will you take up your quarters here? You may remain here to do as you please. Eat, sleep here, watch my actions, the actions of all here. You shall be master of the Glandier, monsieur. But forget the evening at the Elysee. Rouletabille here paused to take breath. I now understood what had appeared so unexplainable in the demeanour of Monsieur Robert Darzac towards my friend, and the facility with which the young reporter had been able to install himself on the scene of the crime. My curiosity could not fail to be excited by all I had heard. I asked Rouletabille to satisfy it still further. What had happened at the Glandier during the past week? Had he not told me that there were surface indications against Monsieur Darzac much more terrible than that of the cane found by Lawson? "'Everything seems to be pointing against him,' replied my friend. 
and the situation is becoming exceedingly grave. Monsieur Darzac appears not to mind it much, but in that he is wrong. I was interested only in the health of Mademoiselle Stangerson, which was daily improving, when something occurred that is even more mysterious than, than the mystery of the Yellow Room. "'Impossible!' I cried. "'What could be more mysterious than that?' "'Let us first go back to Monsieur Robert Darzac,' said Rouletabille, calming me. "'I have said that everything seems to be pointing against him. "'The marks of the neat boots, frowned by Frederick Lawson, "'appear to be really the footprints of Mademoiselle Stangerson's fiancée. "'The marks made by the bicycle may have been made by his bicycle. "'He had usually left it at the chateau.' Why did he take it to Paris on that particular occasion? Was it because he was not going to return again to the chateau? Was it because, owing to the breaking off of his marriage, his relations with the Stangersons were to cease? All who are interested in the matter affirm that those relations were to continue unchanged. Frederick Lawson, however, believes that all relations were at an end. From the day when Monsieur Darzac accompanied Mademoiselle Stangerson to the Grand Magazines de la Louvre, until the day after the crime, he had not been at the Glandier. Remember that Mademoiselle Stangerson lost her reticule, containing the key with the brass head, while she was in his company. From that day to the evening at the LSA, the Sorbonne professor and Mademoiselle Stangerson did not see one another. But they may have written to each other. Mademoiselle Stangerson went to the post office to get a letter, which Lawson says was written by Robert Darzac. For knowing nothing of what had passed at the LSA, Lawson believes that it was Monsieur Darzac himself who stole the reticule with the key, with the design of forcing her consent by getting possession of the precious papers of her father, papers which he would have restored to him on condition that the marriage engagement was to be fulfilled. All that would have been a very doubtful and almost absurd hypothesis, as Lawson admitted to me, but for another and much graver circumstance. In the first place, here is something which I have not been able to explain. Monsieur Darzac had himself, on the 24th, gone to the post-office to ask for the letter which Mademoiselle had called for and received on the previous evening. The description of the man who made application tallies in every respect with the appearance of Monsieur Darzac, who, in answer to the questions put to him by the examining magistrate, denies that he went to the post-office. Now, even admitting that the letter was written by him, which I do not believe, he knew that Mademoiselle Stangerson had received it, since he had seen it in her hands in the garden at the Elysee. It could not have been he, then, who had gone to the post-office the day after the 24th to ask for a letter which he knew was no longer there. To me it appears clear that somebody, strongly resembling him, stole Mademoiselle Stangerson's reticule, and in that letter had demanded of her something which she had not sent him. He must have been surprised at the failure of his demand, hence his application at the post-office, to learn whether his letter had been delivered to the person to whom it had been addressed. Finding that it had been claimed, he had become furious. What had he demanded? Nobody but Mademoiselle Stangerson knows. Then, on the day following, it is reported that she has been attacked during the night. And the next day, I discovered that the professor had, at the same time, been robbed by means of the key referred to in the post restaurant. It would seem, then, that the man who went to the post-office to inquire for the letter must have been the murderer. All these arguments Lawson applies as against Monsieur Darzac. You may be sure that the examining magistrate, Lawson, and myself have done our best to get from the post-office precise details relative to the singular personage who applied there on the 24th of October, but nothing has been learned. 
We don't know where he came from or where he went. Beyond the description which makes him resemble Monsieur Darzac, we know nothing. I have announced in the leading journals that a handsome reward will be given to a driver of any public conveyance who drove a fare to number 40 post office about 10 o'clock on the morning of the 24th of October. Information to be addressed to M.R. at the office of the APOC, but no answer has resulted. The man may have walked, but, as he was most likely in a hurry, there was a chance that he might have gone in a cab. Who, I keep asking myself night and day, is the man who so strongly resembles Monsieur Robert Darzac, and who is also known to have bought the cane which has fallen into Larson's hands? The most serious fact is that Monsieur Darzac was, at the very same time that his double presented himself at the post office, scheduled for a lecture at the Sorbonne. He had not delivered that lecture, and one of his friends took his place. When I questioned him as to how he had employed the time, he told me that he had gone for a stroll in the Bois de Boulogne. What do you think of a professor who, instead of giving his lecture, obtains a substitute to go for a stroll in the Bois de Boulogne? When Frederick Lawson asked him for information on this point, he quietly replied that it was no business of his how he spent his time in Paris on which Fred swore aloud that he would find out without anybody's help. All this seems to fit in with Fred's hypothesis, namely, that Monsieur Stangerson allowed the murderer to escape in order to avoid a scandal. The hypothesis is further substantiated by the fact that Darzac was in the yellow room and was permitted to get away. That hypothesis I believe to be a false one. Lawson is being misled by it, though that would not displease me did it not affect an innocent person. Now, does that hypothesis really mislead Frederick Lawson? That is the question. That is the question. Perhaps he is right, I cried, interrupting Rouletabille. Are you sure that Monsieur Darzac is innocent? It seems to me that these are extraordinary coincidences. Coincidences, replied my friend, are the worst enemies to truth. What does the examining magistrate think now of the matter? Monsieur de Marquet hesitates to accuse Monsieur Darzac in the absence of absolute proofs. Not only would he have public opinion wholly against him, to say nothing of the Sorbonne, but Monsieur and Mademoiselle Stangerson. She adores Monsieur Robert Darzac. Indistinctly as she saw the murderer, it would be hard to make the public believe that she could not have recognized him if Darzac had been the criminal. No doubt the yellow room was very dimly lit, but a night light, however small, gives some light, here, my boy, is how things stood when, three days, or rather three nights ago, an extraordinarily strange incident occurred. End of chapter 13 Recording by Gloria Zablicki, Floral Park, New York